Welcome to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Today's guest is one of New England's most accomplished MLB scouts. In fact, New York Yankee scout Matt Hyde was named to New England Baseball Journal's list of the 50 most influential people in the sport back in 2019. Matt recently helped direct the Summer Rivalry Classic, a showcase event for some of the top high school and college prospects in New England. He assembled the rosters and managed the Yankees scout team at Fenway Park. I'm excited to talk to Matt about his path to becoming a scouting director and has thoughts on some of the top 2022 MLB draft prospects from New England. Before we welcome Matt to the pod, let's review some of the ways that you can engage with us at New England Baseball Journal. As we head into the fall, we are starting to look ahead at the high school, prep, and college seasons on our website, baseballjournal.com. We also have prospect rankings for the classes of 2022, 2023, 2024, and most recently, 2025. We have also highlighted 40 players who will be in the mix for the 2022 MLB draft heading into the spring season. Visit BaseballJournal.com to find any of those stories and sign up for our free email newsletter, which goes out twice a week and highlights the latest content on BaseballJournal.com. We're also starting to work on our fall edition of New England Baseball Journal. That will include prep previews as well as college features at the D1, D2, and D3 levels. If you want to receive the fall edition at your home or office, click on the subscribe tab at BaseballJournal.com. That publication will go to press in October. Thanks again for listening to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. Now here's Matt Hyde. Hey, Matt, thanks so much for joining the pod in the studio. Dan, it's great to be here on Hall of Fame Induction Day in Cooperstown, New York. Yeah. Um, Now, I invited you on after the Summer Rivalry Classic, and um, that was just such a fun event to go to and attend, and such high-level baseball with top prospects, and you know, I'm sitting there, you know, right behind home plate, and I'm thinking like, oh, this looks easy to put together, and it's a great event. They should do more of these. But I'm sure, you know, anytime those things look seamless, there's a lot that goes into it that uh, happens behind the scenes. What is the process? I was really uh, interested in how you even came up with that that group of players. There were 45 players there. What's the process for selecting the players? Well, it's a collaborative event, um, both the Red Sox, Ray Fagnant, um, and I uh, helped put together the whole thing. Uh, the Red Sox have been incredibly gracious uh, to let us use Fenway Park, um, particularly over the past few years. We did, have done it at Yankee Stadium uh, a number of years as well. Uh, it started as the idea of Anne Marie Ostremski. Hmm. Um, her son, Mike, who's now with the Giants, uh, had played on our area code team in 2008. And uh, she loved the concept of the area code games, of a high level of competition uh, against players uh, in a game setting. And uh, she thought it would be great to do something in New England uh, for the players in the Northeast. And so that's what hatched the idea. Yeah. And uh, so we did our first one in 2009, and we put the team together uh, basically with – the guys that we've had on our area code team or our east coast pro team Um, but we also like to incorporate players that we really liked at the tryouts that may not have made either one of those teams or guys that we may have heard of uh, later in the summer that you know let's take a look at this guy last year uh, with covid we decided to incorporate the college players because some of them we hadn't seen 
um, as significantly uh, during the summer. A guy like uh, Mason Black from Lehigh who would pitch down in Florida and some other players um, that we wanted to see a little bit more. Um, So we started doing that, and it kind of fed into this year where we had some players from Harvard, uh, some players from Assumption, uh, some players, a kid from Rutgers, uh, which is great, you know, alongside of uh, Thomas White, you know, who's a younger guy, or Kevin McGonigal, who's a, you know, both of those kids are 2023s, you know, going against kids who might be going to their senior year of college. So uh, it's really grown. The event has grown, and it, it's always a great couple of days. Yeah, absolutely. And the Harvard guys, I thought, were really impressive. Um, Logan Bravo hit a home run. Um, the pitchers were throwing hard. They were b- both on your team, I think. Um, that yes. was Will um, Jacobson, it, Jacobson yeah. and um, Adam Stone. Right. And they were both you know, throwing hard and mowing people down. Uh, and so how did you know the Harvard guys would attend? Did you extend invitations to all the Ivy League schools? Yeah, so we, we tried to identify some of the better college players um, to be there, uh, knowing that uh, a lot of them probably couldn't make it with, you know, move-in day to dorms, and, you know, maybe they wanted to shut it down for a while, uh, you know, after Cape Cod League seasons or whatever. Um, so we tried to incorporate a few of them in there, and, and it worked out that we ended up getting the, the four kids from Harvard. Yeah. Uh, which was great. Um, Sebastian Keen and uh, Cam Schlitter from Northeastern weren't able to uh, throw in it. Uh, Sebastian came and and was in the dugout, um, which was great. And uh, we also had Trey Dombrowski from Monmouth, who was the pitcher of the year in the Cape Cod League, uh, who just came and and got to be in the dugout, and we got to be around him. Uh, Reggie Crawford from UConn was going to come up, but uh, he had something come up. But... uh, we always kind of take these events as an opportunity to learn more about the players. Uh, whatever they do on the field is uh, the icing on the cake. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's really been great to have that mix. And uh, I thought all those kids really held their own, showed very well. And uh, to get them on that mound at Fenway or in that batter's box at Fenway is just such a different look. Um, to get any player in a major league stadium, uh, it helps us a ton in the evaluation process. Mm-hmm. Because typically we see them uh, at their college field or at a high school field, and it, it certainly is just not the same. One thing I was wondering, I was looking through the roster on the day of the game, and it was somewhat geographical. Like you were, you were the Yankees, and you had some, uh, a lot of Connecticut guys and some guys from New Jersey and New York. And Ray, um, he was the Red Sox, so he had, you know, some D3 college guys uh, from, you know, northern states in New England. Is it geographical, or do you have a draft, or how do you decide who's going where? It's definitely not an exact science. Uh, The Red Sox were very aggressive this year with their scouting department, inviting uh, some players from outside of the Northeast. Uh, We have done that as the Yankees uh, in the past, uh, especially at Yankee Stadium, uh, that you know, one year we had Clay Bellinger, or Cody Bellinger, rather, from um, Arizona, and his dad, Clay, was there to, to coach in the game. Um, and, you know, we've had some really good out-of-the-area uh, players down through the years. But, yeah, the way it worked out this year, uh, the Red Sox had this uh, 
group of players that their scouting department invited. And so it ended up that uh, our Yankee team had most of the Northeast players um, just to balance things off. But, you know, we mix and match. And, you know, Ray and I have such a good rapport that uh, we try to make it even. It, it typically ends as it did this year with us winning one game, the Red Sox winning the other. It's usually very it, – it, typically when we've done it, uh, and just played a straight out fourteen innings. It it always comes to the last at bat or the last inning. It, it's just been really unique in that way. And you know, it's always a great day. We always leave there after all the work that goes into it, saying, you know, we learned a lot uh, about these guys. And uh, you know, yesterday I was uh, at Hudson Valley watching our high A team play, and we've got Anthony Volpe playing there. And you know, Anthony played in this game and hit a double off of Sebastian Keene off the, the Green Monster, and um, that sort of interaction was the type of thing that gave us a huge comfort level in Anthony coming out of the Del Barton School. And, uh, and that's why we do these things, is to, to get to know the players and, and be around them. And we, we try to divide it to be as even as it can be. Um, so it's competitive. Yeah, absolutely. And you had said earlier... Uh, you know, what takes place on the field isn't quite as important to get a chance to see what, you know, the personalities and the, the way these guys compete. But, you know, they are competitors and they get in these situations and they want to win. Um, what is the message? I was wondering, you know, because it's a showcase event and a lot of scouts and things like that. But these guys are paying attention to the scoreboard. Um, what is the message to the players before they take the field in terms of the motivation? You know, that's a great question, Dan, and I think it's something that we've really done an outstanding job of here in the Northeast um, in the scouting community of really pounding the message home that when we do these events, we want them to play the game of baseball, and we want them to compete, and we want them to be aggressive when they take the field, not be afraid to make mistakes. Um, but we want them to go out there with a sense of playing to win, you know, yeah. and playing to compete. Uh, even though it's a it's a byproduct of a lot of things, it's sometimes out of their hands when it comes to how how the game ebbs and flows with pitchers coming in every couple of innings and that sort of thing. It's not the the typical game, but I think that the big thing that we've always pounded home is play as a team, be a teammate. Um, talk to your teammates, encourage them, be positive. Um, the one thing that I loved at Fenway uh, this year is all of our guys were on the top step of the dugout. Uh, it's a real little thing, but they were engaged. They were watching. They weren't distracted by all the other things. And so many of these things that you see in the summer with high school players um, involves showcasing them and they become very detached from the results, and they become very detached from their teammates, and they become very focused on themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we've really tried to encourage is that team concept of, hey, you're a Yankee, you're a Red Sox, okay, we're, we're going to be a unit. <laughs> we're going to stretch, we're going to play catch, we're going to take infield, we're going to talk, um, we're going to you know, play hard uh, as, a, as a ball club. And I always tell them, um, when you leave here, I want you to, to have made some friends that are going to last significantly 
uh, into the next year, two years, however many years down the road. Maybe they become lifetime friends. But I don't want them just to show up, get a, a hat and, and tee it up and, you know, then get ranked, you know, whatever by whoever. Um, I, I want them to feel like a baseball player. And I think and that's the message the whole scouting community has really pounded into them with these events, and I think it's really made a significant difference in the quality of play uh, that these guys show on the big stage. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Sebastian Keene earlier. I had, I had him on a podcast a few weeks ago, and he mentioned you know the experience of playing with some of these guys and seeing them again over the years on the college field. And, you know, it's a lifelong friendship when you see these guys again. Um, you forget, you know, I didn't. I, you know, I didn't go out to California and see these guys at the area code games, and I, I wasn't down in Alabama for the uh, East Coast Pro Showcase. But you forget you've you've seen these guys a lot over the course of the summer, the high school guys. Um, so when I was, you know, I'm sitting there in Fenway, and Matt Scott takes the mound for uh, for the Yankees. He gets the start, and I'm like, wow, that must be a good. He must have had a great summer, you know. And your events, what what went into the decision to start him? What did you see from him? You know, he's. A kid that um, has great ability, obviously, uh, number one. Um, and I've known Matt Scott for a couple of years now. Um, he was on our underclass area code team, and then obviously he did uh, both the East Coast Pro and the area code games this summer. Right. Um, so there's that relationship and rapport kind of going into this thing. And, um, you know, you, you see different things in players – um, where you know, hey, let's see this guy a little more. Let's see him, what he's like. Uh, he did not get a start at the area codes. He came in out of the bullpen. So I thought it was significant, you know, let's let's have him start the game and see what that looks like. Uh, so uh, I thought it was a, a really good look. You know, he only got two innings, but it's the end of the summer, and um, I think what you find out uh, by that experience is, Okay, how does this guy prepare? How does he get ready uh, to go about his business? Um, and then, you know, how does he manage uh, the good and the bad, you know, as he's going through his outing? It's so funny, Dan, these little uh, short uh, glimpses that we get of these players. Um, two innings at Fenway Park is like a 10-inning game <laughs> at his high school. Right. It, it, it's so – it's such – uh, a more intense experience. Each pitch matters more. Um, there's there's just a different weight to it. And um, the guys who make it easy uh, are the guys that we're, we tend to be attracted to. The, the guys that, that struggle, now we want to see, okay, down the road, how do they bounce back? Uh, you know, do they learn from this experience? And typically the good ones do, you know. Right. And that's a good uh, segue to Thomas White because he, well, first of all, he's a he's a 2023, so he, he was on the younger end of the guys at that game, um, and it's he's the perfect game. Everybody knows, you know, number one prospect in the class of 23. Uh, but it's funny because he, I went to a couple of games for Phillips Andover this uh, spring. He wasn't, you know, one of their top arms. Uh, this well, he's he's the top arm, but he he wasn't one of their more. Uh, he didn't log a lot of innings, I should say. And um, it was the first time I had actually got a chance to see him pitch. And, you know, it's all there. He's throwing, you know, high 90s. Um, he's got a great breaking ball. 
Uh, he's super flexible in his, um, in his windup and delivery. Uh, but he did struggle a little bit. I think he walked six guys over two innings. I was excited when he came out for the second inning because I was like, you know, this guy looks great and he's throwing hard. But he did battle it a little bit. The one thing um, you can say for him is he only gave up one run, you know, with a, even though he walked six guys. Uh, how familiar with, were you with him going into the game, and what did you see from him? Well, last year we had Thomas throw in one of our exhibition games uh, up in Lynn. Uh, so had been around him. He got the start that day against the North Shore Navigators uh, through two innings, uh, probably gave up the first home run of his life. Uh, in that game, uh, but he he did very very well, and I've come to know him over time. And this was great, and and I talked to him about this afterwards, um, and I kind of thought back to when Jack Leiter was on the younger end of things, and he had given up a home run in the summer rivalry at Yankee Stadium, and you know when these guys face adversity in that situation. Um, it's typically the first adversity that they've faced. And um, I thought the the great uh, thing that Thomas got out of that outing was uh, he only gave up one run. He was able to limit the damage, even though, I mean, it was bases loaded, nobody out. Right. He had walked three guys in a row, you know, and, and that's how we really find out about guys. Uh, and as I explained to all the players afterwards, it's easy for us to go out and scout players when they're successful. Right. You know, it, it's, that's easy. Um, we need to see them when they face adversity because that's where we find out if they can be a professional, you know, because there's so much failure and struggle that comes in the game. Um, we, we need to know how they manage that. So for Thomas, I thought that was it was really great because – you know, we can easily go see him. He, he had an outing this spring against Exeter, Exeter where he struck out 15 or 16, and he cruised, and it was great. And that's awesome, and we love seeing that too. But um, now he's on that stage, and he probably had to manage his nerves a little bit. I'm sure he was, if you talk to him, you know, without any cameras or, or microphones, he'd probably tell you that uh, the butterflies were, were in there, and he wanted to really perform and do well, and I guarantee you he's going to come back the next time he does that and be a whole lot more comfortable, and, you know, we probably get to see him pitch a little bit better, but that's why we do it. You know, uh, Josh Baez played in this last year and struck out four times. Hmm. You know, so um, it, it, it does it have a bearing on what's going to happen down the road? Uh, no, but it, it does it help the player um, learn what they have to do better or improve? Absolutely. And I, I thought that was the case with Thomas. Yeah, I was, uh, I was sitting right behind his parents, and um, you could tell it was a little bit of a unique experience for him to see him struggle on the mound, but they, they were pretty calm and composed about the whole thing. They didn't seem too rattled by it. So um, you came out at one point and visited the mound, and uh, it seemed like you kind of calmed him down a little bit when he was in trouble. Is it? Do you, do you have a philosophy not to take guys out in the middle of an inning just because you don't want to get guys up in a hurry to warm up or anything like that? I think it's the easy way out to roll the inning. Yeah. You know, I really don't like doing it because yeah. um, I like to see them have to work out of it. Yeah. It, it happened to Joe Allen at the area codes in his first inning of work 
And, um, I mean, here's a guy that did really well the other day for USA Baseball in the 18-under uh, series with Canada, and he's obviously a great uh, high school prospect committed to Michigan. But that first inning at the area codes, he faced 10 batters in the first inning. And I, I was teetering on the edge of, okay, do we roll this inning to protect him or do we let him pitch? And then he was scheduled to throw three innings. So now it becomes, geez, now do I cut it down to two? And, um, you know, I obviously I'm communicating with him the whole as we're going through this. But what he did was um, he ended up going out for his second inning, did much better. His third inning, he had a one, two, three inning. So you go, okay, now that's I got everything I wanted out of that. And I told the kids after that game, I said, I will not remember inning one that, that Joe threw. I'll remember inning two and three because he bounced back and he competed. And, and that's what we want to find out. And, again, um, if you roll the inning or, you, you, you know, you say, okay, we're going to rotate, we're going to take a break, um, it, it's really not realistic in finding out about who the player really is. Let, let, and obviously you, you want to be cognizant of pitch counts and that sort of thing so mm-hmm. they don't overdo it. But also, hey, let's play baseball. You know, let's go. Come on. Right. If, if you're at, you know, your high school, you're going to have to work your way through some things. And um, I think that's uh, the real lesson that we learned from, from that type of experience. My favorite moment of the game, um, and I, I'm sure you thought this was great too, uh, Adam Stone was on the mound from Harvard. I think he led on the leadoff guy. The guy ended up, you know, throughout the course of the inning moving over to third base. And he um, – just to set this stage for the people who are listening, he is so the, it's a one o'clock game on a Friday at Fenway, so it's not like mobbed with fans. Um, but you know, there's a lot of scouts, a lot of family stuff like that there, but it's pretty quiet, you know, when you get down close to the field. And so he records a strikeout to end the inning, and I like I'm scoring the game, so I look down to score, and then all of a sudden, you just hear a celebratory grunt and fist pump, and he's marching off the field. And you just didn't see a lot of that enthusiasm, you know, not that guys were n- not uh, energized, but he was just so fired up for, you know, an exhibition game at the end of the summer. He's one of the only uh, D1 guys there. And I was just like, man, I love that. I bet, you know, scouts in the stands probably love that moment. He seems like a, an excitable guy. Uh, it was such a great moment, like you said, Dan. I loved it. I loved the raw emotion. And, um, again, it's, it's that team type atmosphere of playing a baseball game and I just got out of a jam and I'm excited and pumped up and uh, our game needs that you know and again in in so many of these showcase type venues uh, it becomes the individual and they're worried about everything other than getting the guy out and competing it's more about what's my velo, what's my spin rate, what's my uh, exit velo, you know, what's my launch angle, whatever it may be. And um, that was a great baseball moment. You know, you felt like Adam would have done that in front of 50,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was just such a, a great thing. And I think, it, I think it fired the guys up to some extent Yeah. of like, hey, this is this is real 
And um, I, I thought it was really wonderful. And, that, and again, that's why we do it, for stuff like that. And uh, Will Jacobson, he ended up closing out that first game, which you guys won. And he had a nice clean inning there. Um, he had a big summer on the Cape, too. He was, he was really good down on the Cape. Have the Harvard guys, you know, because they didn't play in the spring, it seems like those guys have taken the biggest jump this summer considering, you know, we, didn't, we haven't seen them in a while. Is that, is that the sense that you get? Well, you know, it's really so great to see what they've been able to do. And I, I do feel like they've made jumps. And I, I, I give so much credit to these Ivy League players. We signed Ben Rice out of Dartmouth. And um, when you would go to the New England baseball complex – uh, and watch those guys work out and organize practices and organize scrimmages and uh, the work that they put into being consistent in their preparation, even though they had no season. Um, these kids could have hung their heads, uh, said, woe is me. They could have done any number of things. And uh, that group of players um, really came together, and they uh, self started uh, a venue where they could improve as baseball players. And, you know, it's just, it's really kind of awe-inspiring to see what they've been able to do. Um, You look at what Rohan Honda did uh, from Yale and ended up being a a decent draft pick with the Giants. Um, And a lot of that came from the work that he put in uh, when no one was watching Mm -hmm. uh, in a lost season. And uh, I, I think it speaks to the character of the players that um, are at these Ivy League schools, uh, the love that they have for the game of baseball, and uh, the importance that baseball has in their lives. And I think that um, it's easy for people to gloss over uh, that fact. You know, they think that um, these kids are just they're at Ivy League schools to get their Ivy League degree and go and make millions of dollars on Wall Street, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it may be. But but the care level that these kids put into improving as baseball players um, is so significant. And I think also the joy that they had playing the game when they got the opportunity to be on Cape Cod or Adam was with USA Baseball a little bit and even, you know, that, that burst of enthusiasm at Fenway, you know, uh, I think you, you got to see out of these kids a real uh, passion um, that you may not have necessarily seen before. Um, but I give so much credit to these Ivy League uh, players for what they've done. Um, they really had that season stripped away from them uh, in a manner that was not great and it was done late and um, they definitely could have hung their head. And uh, the way they handled it, to me, is such a testament to them and should be a highlight for Ivy League athletics for how their students handled a really adverse condition. Stick around. We'll be back with more after these messages. Firecracker Sports serves all first-time and experienced coaches that are looking for quality showcase tournaments to promote their players and teams. Firecracker Sports offers the most independently operated baseball and softball events in the Northeast region with qualified staff and college coaches to help you and your players get maximum promotion. Besides events, you can get all of your baseball and softball needs with Firecracker Sports player profiles, hotels, 
and even facility sales now. With Firecracker Sports, you can save time, effort, and money by getting all of your events, college resources, and customer attention in one place every season. Visit firecrackersports.com to visit the home of Showcase Baseball and Softball. Now, there were two guys from New England who um, who played well. They, uh, a couple of prep players, A.J. Colarusso and Javar Williams. Um, A.J. actually did, I think, play at the Area Code Games. I think Javar was one of the guys who said maybe tried out and just missed. Um, what do you think they'll take away from that experience? You know, I think, um, you know, being on the big stage, facing some guys that might be bigger, stronger, faster right now, um, learning that they can hold their own with them. Um, you know, both of those kids are, are really uh, motivated uh, kids who have a ton of talent and um, are going to, I just get the vibe that they're going to be types of players that keep on getting better and better. Um, Javar has not been on the, the huge stage mm-hmm. yet, and he's a, a football player too, good football player, Tabor. Um so I think to get him involved in that was, was great because he's got tools. And um, I think it's going to be a matter of just getting more and more consistent. But, you know, by being in that environment, he can see what else is out there. And, uh, you know, for AJ, I, you know, he gives up the home run, you know, but he bounces right back, you know, and, and throws strikes. And, and, again, an opportunity for him to learn and get better. Right. Uh, the, so I, I talked about the Harvard guys. A couple other college guys showed up, uh, mostly D2, D3 guys. Uh, Patrick Harrington, um, who else was in that crowd? It was, um, oh, uh, the other guy from Assumption, uh, Choate. Yeah. Yeah, those, those D2, D3 guys pitched really well. They, uh, they all put up scoreless innings. How do you round out the roster with those guys? Is it guys who have performed well in the summer collegiate leagues? Yep. They obviously did real well in the Futures League, and, um, you know, hats off, again, the Futures League uh, really saved baseball in New England last summer. Right. And I think gained the the tremendous respect and admiration from the scouting community of how well they do things, how organized they are, the venues that the kids play in. Um, You know, uh, to be able to see those guys at the end of the summer after – kind of following them and, and seeing how well they did. Uh, I think it was really great. You know, Harrington in particular threw really well. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that sort of opportunity is what it's all about. And, you know, Dan, what we found is, um, you know, players come from all over. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily matter if you're pitching in the ACC or you're uh, pitching in the NE10. You know, it, it's... Um, it's all about, you know, what ability you have and and um, how you develop, and then then your makeup. You know, so uh, I think being able to get the opportunity to see some of those guys um, in that setting was huge. Mm-hmm. One other cool part of that game was uh, just looking in the dugouts of like the up and coming. Uh, people who are kind of getting their career started in baseball. Uh, Caleb Baptista, you know, worked on the Cape all summer. She was up here. Uh, Chris Calabello's uh, playing career just ended in the last year or two, and he was, you know, working in uh, in the dugout with Ray. Um, 
This was the 13th annual Kelly Rodman Memorial Summer Rivalry Classic, and I heard Kayla say that Kelly was an inspiration for her. I didn't know much about Kelly, you know, until I arrived at that game. Um, who was she, and uh, what was her impact in, in baseball? Well, that could be a whole nother show, yeah. Dan. Um, uh, to give you the thumbnail version, uh, Kelly uh, was part of our scouting department, Department 27 with the New York Yankees. Uh, she was immensely uh, influential in the baseball community in New England uh, with you know, how she did her job. She always wanted to be known as a scout, not a female scout. Yep. Um, but she did become one of the three uh, full-time female scouts in, in baseball. Uh, she, she really made an impact uh, at all levels of the game and helped grow the game in the Northeast um, by going anywhere and seeing anybody and, and trying to dig up players for us to, to watch. And, you know, she found a kid named Lenny Torres who ended up being a pretty high draft with the Indians. She was very influential in the scouting of Anthony Volpe, who we took in the first round. Um, but beyond that, she endeared herself to uh, a lot of the college coaches in New England and a lot of the more gruff and rough and <laughs> tough to get close to coaches. Um, because of her persistence, she would show up early, she would stay late. She really developed a rapport with the players and their families that uh, it, it just still amazes me how many people will come up to me and talk about Kelly. Hmm. And the summer rivalry was a big deal. She loved it. Uh, we would have her coach third, and um, she was a big part of it. And, uh, you know, it was a really special day. So naming it after her was easy. You know, um, not having her there is very hard. But, you know, we, we remember her, and, uh, you know, she she really did a lot to grow the game in the Northeast. Absolutely. Um, one other thing I wanted to – oh, it, well, it seems like right now you're finally kind of getting a chance to come up for air a little bit. I know the summers are crazy, but they're big scouting opportunities all over the country. Um, I mentioned the Area Code Games, East Coast Pro Showcase. Those are in California and – Alabama, respectively. You do the underclass games out in California. Uh, I'm sure you're on the Cape a ton, you know, in the summer. What what does your summer uh, look like, and how do you decide, you know, where you're going to scout, guys? It's a great question, and it certainly has changed here with the draft being moved to July. I don't know if that's going to stay the way it is, uh, but it was a much different summer uh, this summer than we're all used to. You know, we're used to basically the draft ending in early June, and then we start looking towards the following year. Uh, with the draft being in July, um, we had to do a lot of things uh, in June um, while keeping an eye on uh, the current draft class. Mm -hmm. And it, it made it really busy. It, I got to tell you, it was one of my greatest uh, seasons of scouting, I thought. Um, just with the quality of players there were in the Northeast and um, the different levels from, you know, high school and college, you know, a kid up in Vermont, a kid in uh, Boston, you know, uh, just a, a diverse group of players. Um, so it made it really, really fun. 
and it stretched, uh, you know, into following some of these guys in the Cape, like Ben Rice, uh, who we got to see play uh, for Katuit. And um, so choosing, you know, where I go, that's the that's probably the toughest part of the job uh, because you want to vary your looks at players and uh, you want to be really thorough, uh, but you want to make sure you don't miss anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was a challenge, but I, I thought overall it was it was very unique and fun, um, especially the Cape League. Uh, you know, typically um, what we would do is cover like two teams um, and write up every player on, on those two teams and then move on to the next thing where there was pro coverage or, or whatever. Um, this year I really spent a lot of time trying to do the whole league. Hmm. Um, and uh, it was a great deal of fun for me. I, I, I enjoyed it. Challenging, mm-hmm. but good. Um, but it, it got to the uh, middle of August when the area codes and the underclass area codes were done. The Cape season was done, and, um, and then we had the summer rivalry coming up. Uh, but it, it did provide a little bit of a chance to take a breath. And, and now we, we go right into the college uh, scout days. We've got Friday. We've got UConn coming up. And uh, I think the thing that we've learned uh, from this past fall uh, was how valuable it is to watch these college teams scrimmage and watch them play some teams uh, outside and, and not necessarily be uh, married to just the scout day. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for for Boston College to be able to see those position players and, and pitchers, uh, you know, over several weekends and go over to Northeastern and, and go see some morning practices during the week and then see them play on the weekends. And UConn was on a nice little roll of when they were playing their, their inner squads. Um, it really, you know, I've been doing this for 16 years, um, but it, it kind of changed my whole perspective on on how to scout in the fall. And um, I'm really excited about embracing that this fall of, you know, okay, hey, I'm going to go and watch Reggie Crawford from UConn pitch every Friday, if that's when he's going, yeah, and see him as much as I can. And, and let's go over to BC and, and see those guys um, play and, and get at bats and that sort of thing. So... Um, I think uh, that's how it's changed a little bit. It's been kind of a, uh, you know, full speed, everyday thing, you know, all the way in here to the end of August, early September. Um, uh, but it, it's been a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I actually got invited to that scout day at UConn on Friday. What, what, what should I expect? If, what, what do they do at the scout days? Is that Are they going to scrimmage, or would it be more of like BP, you know, infield, outfield practice? Or Yeah, typically they, um, and they do a great job, and theirs is usually the first scout day okay. um, in New England. And typically they'll have their guys run the 60s, do workouts at their defensive positions, pro-style type workout where the outfielders throw from right, the infielders all throw from short, and the catchers throw from behind the plate. And then the pitchers will get out there on the mound, not facing hitters, after batting practice, uh, and they'll throw 15 to 20 pitches. And they'll run all their guys out there uh, so we look at everybody. Hmm. Um, I don't know if they're going to do that this year or if they're going to play, but we will see. It's always a, a productive day, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, 
Speaking of UConn, uh, one guy, a uh, crazy 2021 draft story, Frank Mazzucato, who is he's a Connecticut guy who was committed to UConn. Uh, I keep writing, I, uh, hopefully you don't take offense to this, but the point of it is, I, I always say he wasn't even on the area code games <laughs> roster, but the point is he nobody was in on him. He's, it's not a slight to you. Like Nobody knew him um, that he was going to be you know number seven pick in the draft this year. What a crazy story that was. Uh, how do how do you how does that happen? Well, it's the beauty of baseball. I, I think that baseball players have the opportunity to make huge strides in a year more than maybe any other sport. And Frank Mazzucato is a great example of that. Frank was at our area code tryouts, um, throwing eighty four to eighty six, and he was projectable. And he had feel for a curveball, and I remember I wrote down see him at the end of the summer, see if he's made a jump, because he looked a little intriguing. And uh, he got COVID at the, at the end of the summer, heading into September, so we didn't know summer rivalry, that sort of thing. And uh, to his credit, he, he really was proactive in staying in touch with the scouting community of, hey, you know, this is when I'm going to be making my first start in April. And it, it worked out where it fell on a Monday, which is usually a day where it's a little lighter. And um, he went out there his first outing and was up to 93, and he struck out 16 and five and a third innings. And, you know, now it's like, okay, this guy has taken a jump. But it's the beauty of it, you know. Um, If you look back to when Mike Trout was taken in the draft, Mike Trout was not this hugely touted high first-round pick going into his draft year, you know. Even, you know, Anthony Volpe, who we took, uh, you know, wasn't wasn't this highly, you know, nailed down. He's a definite first-rounder. Um, players in this area, I think, probably more than any other part of the country, have a chance to get better and improve. Um, part of it's the weather. Uh, part of it's the, the, the training that they're, they're able to do. Um, but I, I think it's, uh, it's a part of the country where guys can – improve and and certainly Frankie is example uh, a of that uh, but there's been a lot of others you know and uh, that's the fun part of scouting yeah uh, and then I wanted to ask you about this year's class I know Reggie Crawford obviously he's um, you know a top 10 possible prospect he's a two-way player at UConn uh, the northeastern guys you know Sebastian Keen and uh, Cam Schlittler are both good uh, pitchers Luke Gold at BC but we're coming off a year where it's just a historic draft for New England guys. So many guys in the top five, ten rounds. Uh, how do you how do you look at twenty twenty two so far? It's going to be interesting because I think um, again, you know, back to Frankie. You know, there's a bunch of guys who can really take a big jump mm-hmm. after this summer, and it, both at the college level and at the high school level. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun just to see the strides they make. Um, I think these players are more keenly aware of what they have to do to get better than any other era that I can remember. Um, so there's that real opportunity for, for advancement uh, when it comes to where they're at as a prospect. Um, so I think, I think it's going to be really interesting. You know, with Nick Sinicola from Maine, we didn't really have him that high on the radar maybe you know, heading into spring 
2021, and he ends up leading the country in strikeouts per nine. You know, and uh, stories like that are, are what make this job fun. You know, um, if you were to stamp what guys were going to be uh, the year before, uh, you'd be wrong an awful lot, you know. And, uh, and again, um, I think it's a credit to the, the makeup of the players. And I, I just remember an old-time scout telling me that, just remember, every player has a heartbeat. And they do. They have a heartbeat. They're human, and they have a chance to keep on getting better. And I think no other sport allows the opportunity for that more than baseball. Yeah, you mentioned Ben Rice, uh, Ben Rice, and he's a guy like looking for a place to play last summer. At the last minute, ends up in the Futures League, and you end up signing him this summer. It seems like he's hitting a home run every night now. And I'm, you know, watching highlights of his minor league career so far. But um, yeah, you're right. It's a great, great opportunity for New England guys. I appreciate you taking the time and coming in. I know it's a, you know it's crazy in the summer, so it's good to get in here and get your take on you know summer rivalry classic and a lot of these guys. So. Thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate your time. You got it, Dan, and this has been great, and you guys are doing a great job here at the New England Baseball Journal, so thank you. Thanks for saying that. Thanks to Matt Hyde for coming into the studio for the pod. I've always thought about being a scout would be a really cool job. If I wasn't doing this, I would definitely want to be a scout. Matt definitely didn't change that opinion, talking about his experiences scouting players and traveling all across the country to bring additional exposure to New England prospects. That was a fun interview, and I hope you enjoyed it too. Before we close out the pod, a few programming notes. Rate, review, subscribe to the New England Baseball Journal podcast on your preferred platform. Next week, we'll have Harvard coach Bill Decker on the podcast. He'll talk about what it was like to be a coach in one of the only conferences in the country to scrap the 2021 season. He'll also talk about some of those blue-chip prospects we just talked to Matt about. Be sure to subscribe so you can get an alert when that one goes live. To keep up with all things New England baseball, visit BaseballJournal.com. We, we update the site with new stories daily. Click the subscribe tab to get the fall edition mailed to your home or office. Follow us on Twitter at any underscore baseball. We also want to hear from you. If you have recommendations for guests or questions that you'd like me to ask, send a DM on Twitter or email dguttonplan at BaseballJournal.com. Thanks again for listening. The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media podcast.